I'm going to be reading from the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 2, just the first two verses. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious passage. It's all about the glorious gospel. And I pray that as we listen to what this passage has to say, that we would take to heart and embrace these truths and find great comfort in the gospel, the gospel of comfort. But help me, Father, to preach clearly, to be understood, and help me to be logical in what I'm going to say. But help us to listen. Help us to hear what the Word has to say to our minds and our hearts, our whole being. And repent and confess if there's any sin or different understanding of what this has to say. So Father, please, may we always have Christ at the center of our preaching, of our church, our prayers, our teaching, our singing, so that you, Holy Spirit, can do a great work in our hearts and our minds, that you can sanctify us, cleanse us, and also convict us of our sin. I thank you now for this morning. Thank you again for the sacred scriptures. Thank you for this church, which is the household of God, the church, the living God. Help us to always hold fast these truths. Help us to always defend them and guard them and protect them. So thank you now, Father, for this morning. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I'm going to continue with the sermon on the gospel of comfort. Last week we looked at our first fact, our first comforting fact, to comfort our hearts, to see or to know that our Bible is the gospel of comfort. And the question I put forward last week was, do we see this book, this great book, the Bible, the sacred scriptures, as the gospel of comfort? Now, I'm not talking about coming to scriptures and finding comfort in scriptures. We, we know that um, we can find great comfort in the sacred scriptures. We know that our God is the God of all comfort. And that's where we should go to. When we are distressed, when we are suffering and there's pain, we should go to God for comfort and His Word for comfort. And we will find great comfort in God and His Word. Because he's promised he is the God of all comfort. We're not only comforted, but we're also encouraged and we're convicted of our lack of faith, not trusting in this great God. But we must also see the Bible, this great book that has been given to us, is also the gospel of comfort. Now what I mean by that is there are some truths that should comfort us. The glorious gospel, the good news, should comfort us. What Christ accomplished on the cross for us. There he died to forgive our sins. 
There the righteous man died for the unrighteous man to bring us to God. We should find great comfort in the good news. And that will help us then to embrace the God of all comfort. That through Jesus' life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension, we have eternal life. And if we have eternal life, then we are saved from the wrath to come. That should bring great, great comfort to our hearts. And it's great to know that we are saved from the wrath to come. That we are saved from death, because the wage of sin is death. And it's to Jesus and it's to the cross that we look and we find great comfort in what Christ accomplished for us. But like I said earlier on in my prayer, these two verses present us with a summary of the glorious gospel. We looked at last week that Jesus is our advocate. And this morning we're going to get to Jesus is our propitiation for our sins. You might not know what is propitiation. Well, don't worry. I didn't know that word when God saved me. And it's not a Greek word. It is an English word. And we'll find out exactly what it has to say. And maybe then we will find comfort in Christ alone, what He's done for us. Because I don't think we take seriously what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. So before I get into our second comforting fact, from 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Let me just recap, in case you weren't here last week, on our first comforting fact. And our first comforting fact, to help us see that this book, this Bible, is the gospel of comfort, is that Jesus is our advocate for our sins. And we see this in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Some of your translations might say the righteous one. But there we have an advocate. Now we know an advocate is a special, specialist lawyer. He goes to court. Not like your normal lawyer that just writes letters and, and helps you win something back. But... This is a specialist lawyer we can say. An advocate is someone that appears in court on your behalf and pleads for you. In Greek law, if you were accused of a crime, you might ask a best friend to speak in your defence and he would act as an advocate. Like I said, an advocate is a lawyer who speaks in favour of someone or defends them in a court of law. And yeah, we see that Jesus is our advocate. He stands before his Father, the Judge, on our behalf because of our sins. We can't yet enter into the presence of God because we are tainted with sin. And we have an advocate, Jesus. And yeah, in this letter, again, John is addressing the recipients as his children, my little children, they're Christians. He's writing from a pastoral heart, he's writing as a pastor to God's chosen people. And he's, and he's telling them, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. Why? Because there's some people around them that are teaching them falsely and telling them that once you say, 
you can live as you please. Because if you go back to chapter 1 and you read verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And that's what some people were teaching these children of God. And some were falling by the side and believing in that. And we know from Scripture, if you read through God's Word, we should not sin. But we know that, that that's impossible. God is not looking for perfectionism. We know we're going to sin. But what do you do with that sin? Do you ignore it? Or do you run to Jesus and confess your sin? Do we confess our sins because He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Do we run to Jesus, our advocate, our mediator, who intercedes for us, our faithful high priest, who knows what's going on in our hearts? He knows our weaknesses. Because Scripture tells us, when Paul wrote to the Church of Rome, he said, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. If you've, if you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've repented and believed, then Christ's righteousness is imputed to you, comes upon you, and your sins are imputed to Jesus, where they're nailed to the cross. And now you need to offer up your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And we have an advocate who we can take our, our sins to, and, we can, and who can, he can plead with us. Jesus is our heavenly, we can say, advocate, which is in, in Greek, paraclete. The one who pleads our cause, our sin, with the heavenly Father. Jesus, as our defense counsel, he is uniquely qualified to stand in God's presence to represent us because he is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And it's great comfort to know that. That the gospel of comfort should bring comfort to us to know that that the very presence of jesus christ the righteous one before the father is enough to guarantee forgiveness and secure restoration if you sin and you go to jesus and you confess your sin you repent because we should be walking in repentance daily god forgives us you must know that don't feel guilty don't look back and and, and, oh, what's going to happen now? Yes, God can chastise you. He can discipline us for our sins. And that's, that's beautiful to know that because He's sanctifying us. He's, he's molding and shaping us and transforming us more into Christ-likeness. But if you confess your sin, He's, he's forgiven you. He's forgotten. He's, he's pushed it aside, never to bring it up again. And, and, and I think Jesus said to Peter, if he sins 72 times forgive him 72 times but be careful you don't practice sin there's a difference if you practice sin then you will not enter into the kingdom of god if you know what you're doing and you keep practicing that sin thinking you know what i can just go to god and just ask him to forgive me god knows our hearts he knows if you're just using him as a cop-out 
for forgiveness. But if you truly and, and are sincere and you're struggling with a sin, go to the scriptures, let God's word cleanse you and help you and sanctify you. Sanctification is to be set apart for God in holiness. Be holy like I'm holy. And that's what you're striving to be. If we didn't have an advocate before our Father, the great judge, our sin would bring great judgment upon us. That is why this Bible is the gospel of comfort. And it's a great comfort to know we are, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who can plead for us, who is the righteous one. And this is what John is trying to tell the recipients, the children of God, before he goes into the letter and shows us what a true Christian looks like and how we're supposed to behave. He's just bringing us back to the glorious gospel, reminding of these two truths that Christ earned for us. No one's worthy to be here this morning, clothed in Christ's righteousness. But it's all because of God our Father, His rich love for us through His Son has saved us. But let's move on to our second comforting fact to help us to see that this book, the Bible, is the gospel of comfort. And our second comforting fact is to know that Jesus is our propitiation for our sins. It's mentioned four times in the Bible. Twice in John, once in Hebrews, and once in the book of Romans. Four times. Sadly, some translations leave this word out. And they misplace it with another word. But the ESV has brought it back, the New American Standard has it, and I think the King James Version and the New King James Version. But here we see Jesus is our propitiation for our sins. Why is that important? We're going to look at this word as we go along, and it's important to bring back some of the, of the rich words that we have in our doctrine and in our theology. Again, so we can embrace these truths and find comfort in what Christ Jesus did for us on the cross. And the reason why we, Jesus is our propitiation is to remove us, us, from the wrath of God that we deserve. God's wrath came upon Jesus because of our sins. We deserve God's wrath. God was angry with us. And we all deserve God's wrath and anger upon us because Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And there was a time before God saved you. You were walking in ungodliness and in unrighteousness and you were in your unrighteousness suppressing the truth. Read Romans chapter 1. Read that entire chapter over and over and you will see what Paul is saying here. And you'll get it in its context. All men, Gentiles, Jews, are all sinners. And that they have come under the wrath and condemnation of God. 
But Jesus comes along. He's the man that takes God's wrath upon himself and turns God's wrath from us to him. Him who does not deserve it. Him who is the righteous one. We know he did nothing to deserve the death he suffered and died on the cross. But he is the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he, that, that he loved us. And how did he show us that love? He didn't just say, I love you guys, enjoy life and enjoy my son. No, this love is a verb, it's action. He demonstrated his love for us. That while we yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. And that's what the rest of this verse says. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And bringing in verse 2 of 1 John chapter 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And when you put these two verses together, they simply mean that Jesus on the cross bore the wrath of God against sin. God is angry with the sinner. We mustn't take sin lightly and the sin in people's lives lightly. And sometimes we do as Christians take our sin lightly. Oh, God will forgive me. God is a God of forgiveness. Be careful. God sees the heart. You're just honoring it with your lips. Is your heart. We're going to see hopefully next week and there onwards what it means to say I know Him and I walk in Him. It's not just lip service. There's action. There's been doer. God's love is flowing through us into the lives of people. Like I said last week, this book has love mentioned 18 times. The most in any New Testament book. And behind it is 1 Corinthians, which is I think 14 times. And if you put 1 John together, 2 John together, 3 John together, I think there's more than maybe 40 plus times, I think. I stand to correction. Because Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love one another. And like I love you, Jesus says, you love one another. And Lord willing, next week we'll see what it means to walk in the same manner or in the same way as Jesus walked. But Jesus bore the wrath of God in our place. And this is when the word, the word propitiation comes into play. Because when we say Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, we are saying that he sacrificed, turned away the wrath of God, which we deserve, and, whereby, and thereby makes God favorable towards us. Have you ever fell down on your knees and thanked Jesus what he did for you? Taking your wrath that you deserve upon himself, your sins, your filthiness, your rags of dirt. And what he's accomplished for us. And if you see what he has accomplished on the cross for us, and if we embrace this truth with a sincere and genuine heart, I tell you now, we will take our sins seriously. Until we know what the Lord's Supper means to us, genuinely and sincerely, then we'll see the gospel working out there in the lives of people. What it's meant to do, save people, transform lives. I think it was Calvin, or, or not George Whitfield, um, Jonathan Edwards. Revival. 
starts at the Lord's Supper. A lot of people think it's going to start out there. It starts in the church. And he came, I think it was, it was Paul, but he came to say that it starts when we start taking the Lord's Supper seriously. Doesn't mean you have to do it every Sunday now to take it seriously. But it's your heart that God looks at. And what does he see? This is why this book, the Bible, is the gospel of comfort. Because we see what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Propitiation for our sins. Someone said his substitutionary blood shedding on the cross exhausted God's holy wrath against sin. We've seen nothing yet of God's fury and his wrath. And there's a time when everything is going to intensify before the Lord returns. We get a taste of what we see. Of what's happening around us. But Jesus took God's 100% wrath upon himself for us. No man will sustain God's wrath. Jesus is the Father's gift of love to the world. He's the one that has turned away God's wrath that we deserved and has wiped away all sin. All our sin. All the sins of those He has chosen in Christ Jesus to be His children. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The Lamb of God to take away our sins to reconcile us to God our Father. Jesus, our propitiation, He substitutionary sacrifice satisfied the just wrath of God for sin. And when we move to the rest of verse 2 of 1 John chapter 2, where it says, And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now it's not teaching universalism. It's not teaching that Jesus has died for the whole world and the whole world is going to be saved. It's not teaching universalism. Jesus did not die and pay the sins of all people. We know that. Because if all people were going to be saved, then all people before Jesus should be saved as well. But God has mercy on whom he has mercy. That's what he showed in Pharaoh's life. He will harden whose heart he will harden. And he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. But the words of the whole world mean Jesus' sacrifice is not only sufficient for John and his people in John's time, but is valid anywhere in the world for those who believe. It's not just for, Jesus, for, for John's time. It's valid for all time. Jesus' death is sufficient to deal with every Christian's sin. And we're here we're talking about forgiveness. It's there for everybody that God calls through His Son to Himself, who He chooses and whom He wills to choose. You know, it's sad that election causes so much 
friction and so much confrontation in churches. And actually it's a beautiful word. And people confuse it is they think if, if you pray for someone to be saved and you go and you present the gospel to them and you share the good news, this glorious gospel to them and they don't want to hear what you say, you know what time, what happens is you walk away and say he's not elected. That's why we make this such a, such a, such a word that is not worth mentioning anymore. And it's not true. We don't know if God's going to save that person in five years' time, in six years' time. But because we say, oh no, there God's God's election. He obviously hasn't elected him. Let's just throw the towel in. God knows who's he, who his children are. No. This is why Paul encourages us. I read it this morning in my quiet time. Um, if I can find the verse. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved or a worker who, is no, who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. And he reminds Timothy of this. Why? Because Timothy, like you've seen, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We don't know who the elect are. We don't know who the elect are. Just because my brother has not repented yet doesn't mean he hasn't been called. It's because you have a child or a daughter or a grandchild or a granddaughter, grandson. Keep praying. Keep praying. Because God knows who he's chosen are. And eventually he draws them to his son. But the beautiful thing is when we come with true repentance and forgiveness, we have Jesus as our advocate. Yes, there's a once-off where our sins are forgiven, but there's also continuous sin in our lives. To remain in fellowship with God, we must keep confessing our sins. Otherwise, we quench the Holy Spirit if we just think we can sin and live as we please without confessing or coming to true repentance. And God will forgive us because we have a faithful intercessor, mediator between us and God. And that's Jesus, who is our advocate, who is the propitiation for our sins. Only in Jesus, the righteous one, is there shelter from God's all-consuming wrath against sin. And we should find great comfort in this. Comfort in the fact that I have a faithful friend in Jesus who is my advocate who is my propitiation for my sins who is my mediator, who intercedes for me who does everything for me he's, he's, he's victorious on the cross he won the race for me in one sense he, he, he died there to conquer sin and death and the world and the flesh and I'm victorious in him and I just keep believing keep trusting Let's acknowledge our sin. Let's confess them. And let's ask God to forgive us from all our unrighteousness and be washed clean in the blood of the cross. Now that we've been reminded of these two comforting facts from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, that Jesus is our advocate and Jesus is our propitiation for our sins. 
And we've been reminded of these two comforting facts to know that our Bible is the gospel of comfort. And I challenge us to find comfort in the gospel of comfort. Don't just read it as for comfort, but see and be challenged what Christ has accomplished on the cross for you and find comfort in that. Then you will find comfort in God's word and God himself. Because you'll see what he did, you do not deserve. None of us deserve. We're unworthy. That Jesus himself died on the cross, that he willingly and voluntarily gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. For our old self to be crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, but set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. May we walk away from this church this morning and see that this book, the Bible, is the gospel of comfort. Let's pray. Father, please help us all, me as well, to see this book, the Bible, as the gospel of comfort. It is so comforting to know that we have a faithful advocate and that Jesus is the faithful man. He is the propitiation for our sins. The Son of Man, the Son of God. Thank you that you do forgive us when we confess our sins. If we really mean it from our hearts. If we are sincere and genuine. But thank you, Father, that, that John doesn't leave us there. And we'll see, Lord willing, next week what it means now to say that we know him. What follows? Father, have mercy upon us all. Help us to embrace these two comforting facts and find great comfort in this glorious gospel, the gospel of comfort. Please forgive us, Father. We find comfort in so many other things but the gospel of comfort. Father, thank you that scriptures open up our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things from your word. That may we turn our eyes from vanity and revive us in your ways, so that we can hold fast your word and embrace it. So, Father, please help us. Be merciful to us. I pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.